Happy Friday, everybody. It is 10 o'clock and it is the end of a good week. It's been a good week, has it? It's been really, actually, South Central Kentucky, a beautiful week. A lot of sunshine, which we were ready for, and a little bit warmer temperatures. Uh, so uh, maybe the groundhog was right. I hope the groundhog was right. Uh, good to see you this morning. We are going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark. We are in chapter three today. So how are you? You good? Um, I, I thank God for you. I, I thank God so much for all of you joining me live right now. I thank God for those of you who are going to watch me later. Uh, you're in the Word, and that's all that counts. It's all that counts. It's fun to do it live, but I know that a lot of you just can't stop your life and, uh, and watch live. So uh, anyway, whenever you're watching, God bless you. I'm glad that you're with me. Uh, Mark chapter 3 uh, begins with another healing on the Sabbath. Uh, it's an interesting story. It really, really is. It, it it, uh, in very bold contrast, uh, manages to highlight the hypocrisy uh, of the Pharisees. Um, Jesus went to the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. It was the Sabbath. Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Uh, isn't that just interesting? Um, I just, you know, just beware... I mean, if you're the person for whom, you know, arguing <laughs> is more important than ministry, I mean, I mean God help you. I mean, there, there's something really broken in your heart. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I mean, these are supposedly religious men who love the law and love discussions about the law, but this isn't about any of that, you know? Uh, obviously, th they don't give two hoots about seeing a man healed, uh, they, they just know that he's there, and interestingly, they know what Jesus will do. I, I think that's amazing. They know that Jesus will help the man, and that flies right up their nose, and that should say everything you need to know about their hearts, you know? It's like, you know, they, he'll, he'll probably heal him. I mean, it's just, you know what I mean? It's like, and somehow they make that a bad thing, but it made no mistake. It's not even the law that they care about, you know, because if, if if they really wanted to debate the law, you know, well, then Jesus would be a really good partner here to give you some new perspective on a theological, you know, a pressing theological issue. But that's not really what they're interested in either because their minds are already made up. You know, they're not actually wanting to perhaps discuss, you know, the intricacies of Sabbath law. They don't care. Their minds are made up. They just want to start a fight. You know, and then I, I mean, part of me, like I say that the man passed him, that sounds too harsh. You shouldn't sound so harsh, but they're just people that just want to fight. You know, they just want to start a fight. You know, I mean, I mean, God help us. You know, we got seminaries right now with guys just sitting around, the, you know, the lobbies of the you know seminaries arguing about Calvinism while the world goes to hell. You know, just want to argue. You know, just want to argue. Uh, of course, now that every church in America is on social media and pastors like me have all this stuff on, you know, on social media, I get lots of, you know, lots of interaction with people like you and I love that. But I, you know, I get some of the snottiest comments, you know, from people I'll never see, people I'll never know, people who really don't watch or listen. They'll just hear one thing and, and, and blast me, you know, which is fine. I, I, honestly, uh, I've got a I got a tough skin, and, and I'm I'm interested in feedback, and I love a good discussion. But no, these aren't people who want to discuss or give you any actual feedback, man. They just want to start a fight, you know. And I think the truth is, some people 
uh, they argue as a way to conceal the fact that they're actually not doing anything for the kingdom. You know, these Pharisees won't lift a finger to help this man, you know. They're just sitting back watching, hoping to start a fight. And I guess that makes them feel like they're, they're zealous in serving the Lord, but they're not serving the Lord. They're not doing anything to serve the Lord, you know. So uh, Jesus says to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. So uh, again, Jesus is going to make this personal and public. You know, I mean, if you think Jesus is going, you know, take him out back and heal him and let him, you know, no, you know, Pharisees w want this. So, you know, Jesus is going to give it to him. And he just says, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is it a day for saving life or destroying it? See, here's the thing. They're going to accuse Jesus of working on the Sabbath. Now, I mean, all he's going to say is, you know, you know, he's not going to take his hands out of his pocket. He's just going to say, hey, you know, be healed. That's what he does. You know, hold out your hand. And I mean, Jesus doesn't lift a finger. He doesn't have to. He just wills it and it happens. However, the man ends up healed. So from the Pharisees, that's where they got him. They can say he's practicing medicine. I didn't make that up. That's what they're going to do. He's practicing medicine, and that would be working, which means he's in offense of the Sabbath. Now, Jesus has already established that God has given the Sabbath for us. It's for our refreshment and enjoyment. God gives the Sabbath to us as a benefit and to bless us. So if God gives the Sabbath for benefit and blessing, then surely the best way to honor the Sabbath is by seeking to bless others. But again, all that's lost on the Pharisees. Now, now the other thing is, Jesus is right. The Pharisees would allow you to save a life. Like if this man got choked on his chewing gum in the temple, Jesus could perform the Heimlich maneuver to save his life. And that would be permissible because it's saving his life. But they're saying, no, he's just got, you know, a janked up hand. You know, that can wait, obviously, till tomorrow. His life's not in danger. You can wait. So, so that, that's their whole deal. You know, it, yeah, he's got a bad hand, heal him, but you can wait till tomorrow. You don't have to do it on the Sabbath. I mean, this is, this is their absolute mindset. So Jesus heals him, it flashed right up their nose, and they walked straight out the door. And I told you yesterday, by this point, they'd already be plotting his death, and this is where, where they do it. At once, the Pharisees went out and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. All right, several things there. First off, I'm just sort of blown away by the fact that it is so wrong so wrong to heal a poor man's hand on the Sabbath, but it is apparently so okay to go out and plot to kill Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, like, like, wow, how dead is a person's heart, you know, where it's wrong to do something good for somebody, but it's okay to, you know, go out and plot to kill somebody. Uh, the other thing there, the, the Herodians, the supporters of, of, of King Herod, um, it's interesting because Pharisees hate them. You know, they, they hate Herod. They hate everything about the Roman occupation and all of that. But it's just interesting how, you know, if, if the Herodians may play some part in getting the Pharisees what they want, then all of a sudden they're good enough to meet with, even on the Sabbath. So there you go. Wow. Um, I mean, Jesus is just amazing. Um, verse 5, he looked around at them angrily. I think I was talking, I don't know if I said it out loud, but... In that whole, in, in the chapter one, the man who's healed of leprosy, um, Jesus' anger there, uh, and, and again here, this anger 
Uh, it's, it's the anger of God, I think. The way that these Pharisees are, uh, are so, so occupied with, with every single detail of, of the rules and the law, but, but they have no concept of love and mercy. I mean, from God's perspective, from Jesus' perspective, the greatest law, the greatest commandment of all is love. And if in your keeping of God's rules, you forget love and mercy, you've missed everything. You've missed the whole point. Uh, so I think I see anger of God there when Jesus uh, becomes angry. Uh, from there on, Jesus once more retreats to the lake shore. It seems to be something of a pattern, at least in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus ret- retreats to the lake shore. And, and again, it's just this whole uh, sort of setting the scene once more of the way the crowds are coming out to follow him. Um, I think it's Kyle Eidelman who wrote the book, uh, Not a Fan. He talks about the difference between a fan and a follower, you know. And Jesus has lots of fans here. These are people who obviously are fascinated or drawn to his power, his supernatural power to heal, to work wonders and miracles. But but it does not translate into actual faith or, or actual discipleship. You know, and Kyle Ottoman is making that point to say that's still how it is. There's a lot of people who seem, you know, they'll they'll go to church, they'll they'll claim some affection for Jesus, but they're more fans. You know, they're not really followers. They're not going to follow him if it costs them anything. Only as long as they're getting something. And so, you've got that whole situation here: the crowd of of those who are just drawn to see a magic show, a, a, a miracle show. Once more, though. It points out the evil spirits recognize him, and they they cry out, "You're the son of God." Uh, see, that's really interesting. The demons know what the people don't seem to know. The demons will confess what the people seem un- incapable of confessing, but this is not a confession of faith. And and you need to be able to make that distinction. Jesus silences the spirits once more. He has authority over them. But when the spirits say, "You're the son of God," that's not a confession. You know, um, it is, uh, it's, it, it's a power move. You, you know how in Scripture, throughout Scripture, we, we always talk about how uh, a name gives you power over? So when Adam names all the animals in the garden, that is what gives him dominion. He named them, and so they now answer to him. When you get a puppy, the first thing you do is name your puppy so that you can say, hey, you know, Rusty, you know, don't pee in the floor. I mean, you know, come on, get out of the street. You name your children for the same reason. You know, get out of the street. You know, if you can't say, hey, Teddy, get out of the street. If you can't call them by name, that's, that's why nobody listens to their grandma because grandma can't think of your name fast enough. She's calling you all your cousin's name. And as far as I'm concerned, if you don't know my name, then I don't have to take my hand out of your cookie jar until you can call me by my name. You know what I'm saying? Name is what gives you authority. And that's through throughout scripture when, you know, God wrestles, you know, Jacob and then defeats him. He changes his name. It's a sign of taking power over, you see. So when the demons say, we know who you are, you're the son of God, you know, they are saying or, or, or sort of it's a power move because we know your true name, because we know your true identity, then, then, then that means, you see, there's a sense in which they, they have mastery over him. You know, to have the name means you have mastery. Uh, 
So it's their effort to try to take control of the situation or to take control of Jesus. And Jesus will have none of this. So that's why he silences them. They do not have a, they may know his identity, but they have no mastery over him. And they're not going to take control of the manner in which his identity is revealed to the people. Jesus will reveal himself in his way and in his time. And the enemy, the evil one, is not going to take control of him or control of the way in which he manifests his identities. That makes sense. So they're not, they're not helping here. You know, they're not helping at all. They're not trying to help. They're trying to take mastery, take control over Jesus's appearance so that they can, you know, spoil his uh, self-revelation among the people. Makes sense. So we'll pick up right here on Monday morning, uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 13 to 35, okay? Mark chapter 3, all the way through the end of chapter 3, okay, starting with verse 13. If you don't have a church home Sunday morning here at Woodburn, uh, I'll be preaching a sermon called The Remnant. We're still talking about the nation of Israel. If you got questions about Israel, about their relationship to the church, about what it means to be the chosen people, about what it means to say that the promised land belongs to the state of Israel today, uh, then this is what I'm talking about. Second series, second sermon in a series this coming Sunday, 8, 9, 30, and 11 here at Woodburn Baptist Church. I want to see you, all right? Uh, if I don't, I will see you Monday morning right here at 10 o'clock for 10 with Tim. I love you guys. Have a great weekend.